0: Right, Song of Solomon chapter number 7, there are once again, back there at the back. Uh, tonight we will work through the last of the Song of Solomon in its poetic form, uh, next Wednesday night, um, I want to try and do a little bit of a, kind of a recap and... Some thoughts about how we would interpret the Song of Solomon, um, and then we will turn our attention elsewhere. Um, I'm going to take—I don't really know how long. Not a long time, but a few weeks—and um, talk to us about future pastoral transition. I want to address that. So then we'll uh, we'll move into we'll move back into. Uh, a book. Let's go ahead and pray this evening, and we will turn our attention to the Song of Solomon. Father, uh, <clears throat> we recognize that this is your inspired word, and we are grateful for that and appreciate it. We pray for your help as we read this book, that we would understand it, that we would have some understanding, that we would not just race through it to be done with it, but would have some appreciation of its meaning. So we ask for your help to that end, and we pray your blessing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, what we're and what we're going to do this evening, I think this is in your outline. I can never remember exactly what I leave in and what I take out, but um, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're we're we've kind of looked at the book. We've attempted to look at the book primarily as poetry. Uh, along the way, we've made note of some of the interpretive issues. That arise, but we've not just run to them. Uh, We have tried to look at it as it is—a love poem, um, an expression of deep desire, uh, a mutual uh, desire that that is expressed. And we've looked at it by walking through um, the cycles. Right? I've I've chosen to follow this outline that that there is kind of a repetition of cycles. Um, in which the lovers are not together but they want to be together and there's an impediment to their getting together and then they ultimately do get together and then we transition and move into the next cycle. We will follow that. There are two remaining, although when we get to the last, the seventh, um, we're not going to follow it hard and fast in its form as a cycle, but we will just kind of walk through the verses in their poetry. The sixth cycle of the poem is chapter 7, verse 11, through chapter 8, and verse number 4. And so let's, uh, let's just read them. And again, as we read and as I talk, right, one of the things that we're endeavoring to do is try and make note of who's speaking. Right? We're just trying to read the poetry. Who's talking? The guy or the girl or somebody else, because there are other par- parties at time. time. Uh, I've not put this in our outline, but we want to make note of the fact that the Song of Solomon is making full use of all of our senses. That it is, it is talking about how you look, not how you look, but how the object of desire looks, how it smells, um, what it can hear. And so it's a very, it's a very complex expression um, of desire. So let, again, let's turn our attention. Chapter 7, verse number 11, down through chapter 8, and verse number 4. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell. And at our gate are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. O that thou wert as my brother, that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate his left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me i charge you o daughters of jerusalem that ye stir not up nor awaken awake my love until he please so so there is the 6th of the 7 cycles of the poem um <clears throat> And verse number 3 of chapter 8 reveals to us that the lovers are not together. Although, right, and it's a Wednesday night crowd and we're pretty comfortable with our Bibles. um, We need to talk just a second about the way this verse is translated. And how we should think about that. In our King James Bible, chapter 8 and verse number 3 is treated right as hypothetical or potential. His left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me. And you'll notice that the very first expression of that, his left hand should be under my hand, is put in italics. And the italic words, of course, in our King James Bible have been supplied to us by the translators as an aid in understanding. If you're sitting there with an ESV in your hand, then you will note it, that it is not treated as a hypothetical and that it reads, I don't know exactly how it reads in the ESV, but it reads like this, his left hand is under my head. So it's treating it as a present fact, and and here's one of the reasons that I bring this up, folks, and this is one of the ongoing problems with dealing with the Song of Solomon, is the fact that we are dealing with a translation. If you will just take a moment and look back to chapter 2 and verse number 6. And I don't know if there's a way for you to do this. I'm going to see if I can do it with my Bible, which is pretty easy to do. Chapter 2 and verse number 6 His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. So you have Song of Solomon 2 6, and you have Song of Solomon 8 3. One is treated as happening and one is treated as an expression of desire that it should be happening. And they are the exact identical sentence in Hebrew. They are the exact identical sentence in Hebrew. Well, then why are they translated differently? Well, they're translated differently because there's a little more latitude in the Hebrew than there is... In the English, this way, the grammar would allow the verb to be treated hypothetically in either instance, and that is the way our King James translators have chosen to translate it here. That is all that I know to tell you. Right? I'm following it as it is written in our King James Bible. It is what we use. We do not generally go back and try to edit or correct it. And you notice that there is a second should in verse number three that is not italicized. But again, folks, the sentence structure in 2 6 and 8 3 are identical in the Hebrew language. The only place there is any variation at all is actually a slight modification in the word head, but no other place in the Hebrew. It is obvious that it is the female speaking in verse number 3 because she makes mention of his left hand. But it is entirely possible, folks. Right, And I just want to mention, because if you're just kind of thinking through the ramifications of this, Right? I have been setting forth to you that there is a pretty consistent cycle throughout the poem, but it is entirely possible that the cycle unravels in this section. That, that the Hebrew reader would have read is rather than should be, and so they would not find the absence of the lovers. But we're going to go with as it is written in the King James, and it, it is grammatically functional and it is consistent with the cycle that we have chosen the lovers are not together but they greatly desire to be together and that's verses 11 through 14 of chapter 7 <clears throat> right and it is here the female who is speaking <clears throat> come my beloved let us go forth into the village let us lodge in the in the field let us lodge in the villages let us get up early to the vineyards let us see if the vine flourish whether the tender grape appear The pomegranates bud forth, there I will give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. And we know that it's a female. I mean, again, our English Bible doesn't communicate it, but, but in the Hebrew, the word beloved is masculine. And in many other places where the Hebrew word is used in our King James Bible, it is translated with the word uncle. With the word uncle. And so her appeal is that they would go together to the vineyards, right? Just to go back to the poem. Oh, that we could be together and go to the vineyards. And there I will give you my loves. Which actually has the same idea as beloved. It is essentially the same word. And nothing wrong with the way that it's translated because we probably would not, we would really scratch our head there while I give you my beloved. Now, this is one of those places, folks, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, and that is just how sexual is Song of Solomon in nature. It is clearly a book describing desire, and it is clearly a book, to to put it as delicately as I can, in which the young man is well aware that girls are not boys. And I'm mentioning that here because virtually every commentator that I've consulted would interpret verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 12. There I will give thee my loves as being physical in nature. I don't know that it is. I don't know that that's the proper way to read it. I just know that's the way almost everybody reads it. Let us go to the field, and I will give myself to you. And verse number 13 then is used to deal with the desire and the mood. The mandrakes give a smell. Mandrakes are considered, were considered in the ancient world as an aphrodisiac. Uh, You find them in the book of Genesis, uh, uh, used that way. Um, And without trying to get all into botany, which would be a disaster for both you and me, uh, the mandrake is a perennial plant. Um, It can be moderately poisonous if it is ingested, and it has both anesthetic and hallucinogenic facets to, to the poisoning um, and the roots of the the mandrake are frequently found in the representation frequently look like human forms as they have a body with legs and arms and so that seems to be the connection and part of the impact why ancient cultures would view them that way in in any event folks the poem right without Without gutting the poem of its beauty, verses 11 through 14 are an expression of desire to be together in light of verses chapter 8, verse number 3, in light of the fact that they are not together. And chapter 8, verse 1 addresses, and verse number 2 address the impediment. And again, these impediments are often in their own right Highly nuanced, what what is the dilemma that they face, Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother, when I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother 's house, who would instruct thee me, I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate, so whatever is going on, folks, in the poem, the the operative idea, the part that we don 't want to miss is the word were, or in our King James Bible, weret Oh, that you were. Oh, that you were like my brother, as. Oh, that you were as a brother to me. That would be the way to read it. And what would happen, right? Because again, this we have to, to the best of our ability, to try and go back and recover as much as we can of a Middle Eastern mindset. What would happen if her lover was like her brother? What would that mean? And she explains what it means in verse number one, when I should find thee without, because again, they're not together. And I think that verses one and two are the explanation for why our translators in verse number three are dealing with it hypothetically. When I would find you without, I would kiss you. In your Bible, there are about 25 verses in which men kissed men. Of course, never in a sexual way. But we find in the Bible about 25 verses where men kissed men or women kissed women, family members. Ruth kissed her daughter-in-law. Ruth kissed her daughter-in-law. We are commanded folks to greet each other with holy kisses. Now, you know, that's a whole other subject as to how literally we should take it, and I think it's pretty obvious that we don't take it super literally at all. But if we did, if we did, if we became like other cultures that do practice that, it would obviously be a non-sexual kiss in its dimension. There are only two places in the Bible where a kiss is expressed in any kind of Sexual connotation. And that is in Song of Solomon 1:2, "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips." And in Proverbs 7:13, with reference to the immoral woman. And here's the point, folks. here's the point. right In our world, we have reduced all of that kind of conduct down to three little letters, right? PDA. Public displays of affection. And we are governed, most of us feel governed, most of us feel constrained, with some restraint to public displays of affection. Don't be too affectionate in public. Now, this just raises the the fact that it is put this way, folks raises just all kinds of further questions for us. Why would you talk like that? Or is she, in a way, addressing the reality that in her world, public displays of affection between boys and girls were not really proper? And if she is, which is what it appears to be, and I've really kind of gone off into the interpretive deep waters here, how can somebody who has spoken so freely, albeit carefully, delicately, about her physical desire and his physical desire for her now come along and go, but we don't kiss in public? So we are very much on the horns of a dilemma. And what is she expressing? Well, folks, what she is expressing, right, it just seems to me what she is expressing is a desire that her affection could be more publicly displayed than it is. If you were like my brother, if you were a brother to me, it would not be out of line. And then verse number two, folks, which goes with verse number three, right? They, they are not together. They desire to be together. There is an impediment, right? And then possibly two and three, they come together, or what will happen when they do come together. But, but again, what, what is she saying in the poem If you were as my brother, I would find you without, I would kiss you, I would not be despised, right? This would not be considered inappropriate. I would not be ridiculed for doing this. I would lead you and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me. And what it is that mom would instruct her is completely lost to us. Or is she saying, my mother has instructed me? Some people take it that way. I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. But but again, folks, right? Before we kill ourselves in the book trying to explain all the components, let us not lose sight of the basic gist of the movement of the poetry. Right? I really want you. I desire to have you. And things would be different if circumstances were different. Now, why she's saying that, why she is expressing that, is one of the things that we don't know. But that's what she's, that is what she's saying. If things were different, if things that I can't control were different, the things that I do would be different. That is what it appears that she is saying. And then in chapter 8 and verse number 4, we come to the transition. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awaken, awake my love until he please. And again, take note of the word my, italicized there. Right? So the, and this is, this is, by the way, the fourth time that we have found this exact admonition in the book. It is in 2-7, it is in 3-5, it is in 5-8, and here it is in 8-4. These daughters of Jerusalem who, who function as not a, not a voyeuristic audience, but observers of this relationship are given instruction. And again, our, our translators deal with it as if he is asleep. Let him sleep, don't wake him. But a a strict reading of the text is don't wake love. Not don't wake my love, but don't wake love until he please. So there's the sixth cycle. And that brings us to the seventh cycle, which is chapter 8 and verse number 5. Through the end of the book. Now, the author that I'm used to to follow the cycles, <clears throat> right? He has pointed out that there is a cycle in this final passage, this seventh passage. But <clears throat> I want to deal with it just as kind of a conclusion to the poem. How much help the the conclusion to the poem is? I, we will have to see, and we may wait for the Lord's final instruction. But I would point out, folks, that it is consistent with other books of Hebrew poetry that kind of the big picture explanation comes at the end. Right? You read Ecclesiastes, and you read Ecclesiastes, and you read Ecclesiastes, and then you get to chapter 12, and Solomon kind of goes, okay, here's the gist of the whole book. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And you read the book of Job, 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 and you don't get any real explanation or perspective on how to read the thing. I mean, you get it in the very beginning, but it comes again at the very end of the book. The, the explanation for the book is found at the end of the book. So it is possible that this segment, beginning in verse number 5, down through the end of the book, functions as a little bit of a hint As to how to look at the book in its entirety. So, again, rather than walk through the the pattern, desire to be not not together, desire to be together, impediment to being together, finally together, and then in this case, the book ends. All right, chapter 8 and verse number 5, and this for your outline. Verse. Verse number five is most likely the daughters of Jerusalem who are speaking. So we don't have, it's not, the, it's not the female lead and it's not the male lead, it's not the tenor or the soprano, it's not the boy or the girl. It is almost certainly the daughters of Jerusalem. Who is this that cometh from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? Who is this? And that's that's as far as the daughters of Jerusalem go. Right? I know that our verse doesn't end there, but that is as far as it goes. And beginning in the middle there, so to speak, the answer is given. And in the end of verse number 5 in chapter 6, it is the male who is speaking. So this kind of rhetorical question coming from most, from most likely the daughters of Jerusalem, who is this? He says, verse number five, I raised thee up under the apple tree. I woke you up. I woke you up. It's kind of the idea there. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bear thee. Now again, whatever symbolic or euphemistic meaning there might be, Right? You are at the apple tree where your mother gave birth to you. That's the poetic version. Set me as a seal upon thy heart, the boy keeps speaking. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love it would be utterly consumed. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. Now, It is, <clears throat> I, may, I think I may have misspoken there. <clears throat> verse number 6 is going to be the female speaking. Verse 6 and verse ne- 7. He says, I woke you under the apple tree. That's where your mother gave birth to you, male to the female. She responds, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thy arm. For love is strong as death. If you try to buy love like this is kind of the idea of the poem. If you tried to buy love like this with all the money that you had, verse number seven, it would be utterly contemned. You cannot put a price on the love I have for you. Seems to be the gist of the sentence. It would be contemptible to try and put a price, even a fabulous price, on the love that I have. Verses eight through ten. Right, the, the so right, set me as a seal upon thine heart. Commit, right? Make a strong commitment. And then there is a little bit of a sour note there, right? Love is strong as death, that's not sour, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Right? Don't don't make me jealous of your love a love that is beyond the price that can be mentioned? Do not do this to me. And then we have verses 8 through 10. There is clearly a female voice, and there are possibly male voices in this passage. You'll note as we read it that there are lots of plurals. Not I and you, but us and we. We have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. So who all is speaking, and again, it can go back and forth. There's kind of plural, there's <clears throat> passive. Who is this little sister? Is she a completely new character to us? Or are we at the very end of the poem being introduced to a new person? Is this passage, folks, and I'm, I realize I'm getting more into the interpretive part of it than the poetical part of it, is it retrospective? Is she reflecting, right? Because in verse number 8, we have a little sister. And then in chapter 10, she kind of identifies herself as being that. We have a little sister. Well, if she was a wall, I'm a wall. I'm a wall. So the context seems to argue for a little bit of retrospection. Remember, this is a love poem. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. We have a she is a young woman not yet ready for marriage. It's the idea. Well, if that be the case, verse number nine, we will take care of her. And this is what's really going on in verse number nine. And this is one of the reasons that we possibly have a male or other male voices, because we have we we have a little sister. Well, we have to take care of her. So If she's like a wall, we'll build upon her a palace of silver. And if she's like a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. We will build. We will build her and we will protect her. We will not leave her unprotected and vulnerable, which is what she is. And then in verse number 10, it appears that the bride speaks, Well, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. I am not the woman of verse 8. And as I've developed, then he loved me. Now again, who we apply this to and what it's about, those are one of the things that the interpreters discuss, but the message of the poem is really fairly straightforward. She was really... Not because she was a woman, but because of all of the other facets of life and culture. She was unable, not in a position to defend herself and live fully on her own. She was cared for. And when she did grow and mature, she became the object of his desire. And whose desire is it? And that brings us then to verses 11 and 12 which almost read not as poetry but as prose, right? Just simple statements of fact. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon must have a thousand and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred it appears folks right and we talked about this very on, early on that right there are a few people who look at this poem as kind of a three-party poem the 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 shepherd boy who loves the Shulamite girl the Shulamite girl who loves the shepherd boy but finds herself very much against her will taken by Solomon, who was on one of his greedy quests for more women. But that doesn't really seem to fit the explanation given there in verses 11 and 12. Never in the passage does the female seem to express much in the way of fear of Solomon or animosity towards Solomon But here we have, again, what appear to be simply a collection of facts. Is it possible that what we're reading here at the end of the poem is the explanation for the setting of the poem? Why do we have this love poem written, and it is a love poem. I'm never going to fight with that. It is a love poem. Why do we have a love poem written from this perspective about gardens and fruit and vines and vineyards? Why do we have that? Because among the many other things that Solomon owned was a vineyard. And Solomon, being a great and powerful king, rented out his vineyard. That's what's being explained in verse number 11. He had a vineyard. Where is it? Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. It is a commercially operated vineyard for profit. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver, the rental price. But the Shulamite had a vineyard, remember? Don't look at me because I'm black, because the sun is darkened to me. I was being punished by my family by being sent to work in my vineyard. I have a vineyard. Now, again, folks, I'm just going to mention this and we are not going to try and get to the bottom of this next week because I don't know that in this life there is a getting to the bottom of this. But there are no shortage of people who argue that in verse number 12, her vineyard is her body. And I would just argue if that's the approach that we're going to take, and I'm not trying to fight with you if that's the approach that you take, but if her vineyard is her body, then his body, his vineyard must be his body. I am going to fight over a consistent interpretation of the euphemisms and the symbolism and the metaphors. We don't just get to go off whenever we feel like it. If a vineyard represents a body, then it represents a body whether it's his body or whether it's her body, and you don't find a lot of that. You don't find a lot of interpretations following that way. Right? So I had a garden and Solomon had a garden and we met the garden. And a relationship developed. There, there, There were no online dating apps for Solomon and Shulamite girls. Now, Is that the exact explanation? I'm just saying it's plausible in the framework, and the context. It is part of the explanation. Part Part of what is happening, I think, is that we're getting some explanation about the setting of the poem at the end of it. And it concludes not with discussions of commercial transactions, but it concludes with final expressions of desire. Because again, folks, What it is above everything else is a poem that expresses desire. Thou that dwellest, verse number 13, Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Cause me to hear it. I want to hear your voice. I want to be where you are that I might hear your voice. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to me, be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountain of spices. Get to me quickly. That is where the poem closes. That is where the poem closes. So we're just going to close it there this evening. Not going to try and do any more with interpretation. Again, we will come back next week and look at some things, but... Unless something unexpected happens between now and next week, um, it is still, in many ways, a mystery poem to me. All right, is there anything that you need to add or update on the prayer list? Rick? Okay, Rick has an unspoken. I have something I want to give you on the prayer list, but I just want to wait until we're finished. Um, and not have it part of the public transcript. It, it's I mean, don't don't set your mind to wondering what it is. It's nothing like that. But all right, let's go to the Lord then, Father. Again, we're thankful for your book and for your inspiration of it, and we pray that as we read Song of Solomon, we would appreciate the depth of the emotion of the poetry that we would appreciate the often repeated expressions of desire that we would love our spouses and that we would above all love you with a strong and passionate desire and that Come, Lord Jesus, would be the prayer on our lips. And Father, there are many things listed on our local assembly's sheet of prayer requests. We pray for <clears throat> grace for those who are unhealthy physically, for those who are ailing with colds or viruses or even COVID, that you would give to them healing and grace. We pray for all who are in any way struggling mentally and emotionally and spiritually, that you would minister your grace to them. We pray that your great name would be known.